amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining with us on this Christmas Eve night as we worship and celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to study uh, a passage in God's Word, and so I would encourage you to go ahead and get ready for that. We're going to be in John chapter 1 tonight, so if you have a Bible with you, if you would, turn to John chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that you're sitting in, or maybe uh, the seat in front of you. There should be a blue Bible underneath that seat. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 981, 981, that's what we'll be tonight. If you do not have a Bible, I would encourage you to take that Bible home with you uh, as a gift from Charleston Baptist Church uh, to you. We love God's Word and it is central to our life. You know, when you think about Christmas, it really is a fantastic time of year, right? It it is a time of uh, celebration. And many people uh, across the globe will celebrate Christmas uh, for many reasons in different ways, right? I mean, think about how people celebrate Christmas. Uh, for some, uh, they gather the family together. They have a great meal, a big meal together. Uh, for, for others, uh, they may decorate some cookies. And I just want to say a personal thank you to all those who gave us baked goods. I probably am tapped out right now. I don't know if I can handle anymore. But all of them have been fantastic. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, for others, when they think about uh, celebrating Christmas, who, who loves to watch a good football game, right? Right, or a good uh, basketball game. I love it. You know, just in sitting around watching TV, uh, it's a great time. For others, they like to decorate uh, their houses, uh, maybe a Christmas tree. Uh, for others, uh, I don't know about you, I love watching Christmas movies. Who loves watching Christmas movies? Yes, it's a great time. And, and when you think about Christmas movies, some of the most uh, well-known Christmas movies today, uh, typically there will be a house in that Christmas movie that gives the, the title of that movie away, right? And so we're going to play a game tonight. And, and I just want to encourage you to be a part of that. So in just a moment, I'm going to show some uh, iconic houses from different Christmas movies on the screen. And if you recognize that house, and more importantly, if you recognize the title of that movie, I want you to do something. I want you to shout it out. It's okay to shout in church, right? So I want you to shout it out. And we're, so we're going to have a little game, and this will be a great segue into our message tonight. So are you ready to play? Yes, absolutely. So if you're going to go strong, make sure you're not wrong, right? That's important, right? <laughs> All right, so the first house, if you recognize it, shout out the movie title. You guys are awesome and enthusiastic. I love it. Second house, who remembers this one? Story. Yeah, you see the leg lamp, right? How many of y'all have a leg lamp? I see a little of this, right? How many of y'all drive by a house that has a leg lamp and you're thinking, man, I wish I had one of those, right? Right? All right, the third movie. This one's a little tougher. The Grinch, yes, The Grinch. What is this? This is Cindy Lou Who, right? That's the house that they ate the dinner at at the very end of the movie. All right, fourth movie. Look at Frosty. Christmas with the Cranks, right? You got, there's a little clue in all of these, right? So the Frosty's up on the roof, right? That was kind of the big thing. So this is Christmas with the Cranks. Uh, the fifth one, I'll take two answers, but one's really the right one. You guys are awesome. First service, 10 a.m. this morning, everybody shouted out Charlie Brown, right? You guys, I heard Snoopy's Christmas. That is, I would have given you half credit for the other answer, but that's full credit. And then lastly, what about this one? Christmas vacation, right? I mean, you got Cousin Eddie's RV sitting in the driveway. That, that's probably a dead giveaway, and everybody else's power is going out. So uh, give it to Clark W. Griswold for that one, right? You know, the reality is we didn't come here tonight to talk about Christmas movies. Uh, we didn't come here tonight to talk about Christmas lights, though I would say uh, Christmas lights aren't so much about the decoration. For me, Christmas lights are a declaration of who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish, right? Uh, In fact, when we think about Christmas, it is a tremendous reminder to all of us 
that what you believe about Jesus and what you believe about what Jesus came to accomplish has profound implications for your life now and your life in the future. So you may be asking yourself, who is Jesus and what did Jesus come to accomplish? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to learn tonight. So we're going to dive into John chapter 1. I'm going to read the passage in its fullness and then uh, we'll study it together. So you ready? Let's do it, right? John chapter 1 verse 1, the scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse Nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 16 says this, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So from this passage, what do we learn about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to accomplish? First thing, Jesus is God. That's what this passage teaches us, that Jesus himself is God. You know, when you, when you want to begin to start telling somebody the Christmas story, where do you begin? Are you like Luke and, and talk about uh, his, his infancy when he was born, the nativity scene? Or maybe you're like Mark and you want to start with Jesus' ministry on this earth. Or, or maybe you're like Matthew and, and you want to begin in his, his heritage, his family heritage. That's not what John does. When John talks about the Christmas story, where does he begin? He, he begins with uh, creation. Those first two verses tell us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, John does something for us. He emphasizes that phrase, the word. The word is referring to none other than Jesus Christ. The scripture is making it very, very clear to us at the very beginning of John's account of the gospel that there is no one, absolutely no one, like Jesus. How so? Well, the scripture teaches us that Jesus is eternal. John intentionally uses language from Genesis chapter 1 to show us that Jesus wasn't just uh, the latest religious teacher that came onto the scene. He's not just some moral teacher, right? John uses specific language so that the original reader that is reading John's account of the gospel would say, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. And where does he go? He stretches back to Genesis 1-1 where the scripture says, in the beginning. And the difference between Genesis 1-1 is this and John chapter 1 verse 1 is this. In Genesis 1-1, the scripture is pointing us forward to something in the future. In John chapter 1 verse 1, the scripture is doing the direct opposite. It's turning us back to the past. It's showing us that Jesus was before all things. In other words, Jesus has no ending, no beginning. He is the Alpha and Omega. Not only is uh, Jesus there from the beginning, uh, Jesus was with God. The word with is an important word. It communicates something like face-to-face. Now think about that. I mean, some of us, uh, if you're a parent, right, don't you just love those moments where you're face-to-face with your child, right? It's, it's, it's like you, can't, you just want to capture those things, right? Uh, as a grandparent, if you're with your grandchild, uh, that face-to-face interaction. And so when the scripture talks about the fact that uh, Jesus was with God, that idea of being face-to-face, it speaks of this amazing, uh, unique relationship within what we call the Godhead. 
Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God expressed in three persons, right? Very important. Divine, all three. Divine, unique, distinct, but yet unified. That is an amazing relationship. And that's what's being communicated to us and for us. And then lastly, Jesus is God. Jesus is not a created being, and that is huge. Jesus is God. He's not like God. He is God. And this is what, this is the defining mark of Christianity among other religions. All other religions miss this mark. How so? You think about those who practice Mormonism or Jehovah Witness, Islam, Buddhists, all of them, they do the very same thing in different ways. They devalue, they undercut who Jesus is. Christianity is set apart from those things. What does the Bible teach us about this one named Jesus? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, if you want to know who God is, look to who? You look to Jesus. If you want to know about the character of God, you look at the character of Jesus. The Bible teaches us that there is no one like Jesus. Jesus is glorious, he is powerful, he is perfect in every way, and guess what? He is worthy of all praise and all worship. That's what the scripture, scripture teaches us. So Jesus is God. Secondly, Jesus is the creator. He is the creator. That's what John teaches us in verse three. He says, all things were made through him. Again, the him is who? Jesus, and without him, that's an absolute statement. Without him, what? Was not anything made that was made. In other words, very simply, creation does not exist without the work of Jesus Christ. Who made you? Who created you? Who knows you more than anybody else? Jesus does. Now the question is, why, why does that really matter, right? As you sit here today, as you join with us online, why does that even matter? When you find yourself broken by your sin, or somebody else's sin, when you are in a place of falling apart because of the frailty of your mind, your emotions, and your body, where are you supposed to go when life seems to be turned upside down, when life seems to be one chaotic event after another chaotic event? You go to the one who created you. You go to the one who knows you the best. You turn to Jesus. Why? I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1. He says this, these verses in verse 16 and 17. He says, for by him, and the him here is Jesus yet again, for by him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Let's stop there. Jesus created everything that you can see, touch, smell, and taste, right? But he also created everything that you cannot see, right? That, that means there's a spiritual realm to life, right? He created all of that. And the scripture says all things were created through him. So this answers the question of how things were done, right? He created those things. And then it says, and for him, this answers why. Why was everything created? Why were you created? Why was I created? to worship him. That's what the scripture is teaching us. In other words, you're not some random accident, right? You're not some mistake. You're absolutely not a result of evolution, right? You were created by him, through him, and for him. And why is that important? You, you will never, and this is important, you will never find the purpose of why you were created in money, in career, in academic achievement, in any relationship, anything that you try to do apart from Jesus Christ, it will not satisfy you. It will not fulfill you. Why? Because you were created by Jesus and for Jesus, right? Until Jesus Christ is the God of your life, you will always be searching and always be seeking for something more. And then the scripture says in verse 17, and he, speaking of Jesus again, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. 
Jesus is the sustainer of all things, right? When everything in your life is spiraling out of control, when your earthly body is shutting down, right? You're on those last couple months of living on this earth, right? When your marriage seems to be on the verge of collapse, when your finances are turned upside down, when everything else just to seem, seems so chaotic, who's the one that's holding those things together? Jesus is holding those things together. Jesus Christ is in total control. That means you can trust him with anything and everything. That also means that nothing is too big for him and nothing is too small for him, right? He is in charge of all those things. The third thing that we learn about Jesus is Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. Verses four and five, uh, John writes this, in him, again, the reference here is Jesus. In Jesus uh, was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, what is light, right? From a physical standpoint, we need light in order to see, right? I mean, how many of us as parents, uh, before you go to bed, you do that, that, that anal- you analyze the hallway, the bedroom, all those things. You're looking for all those tripping hazards, and you go to bed, and then something happens in the middle of the night. Kids crying, dogs crying, or dogs barking, not crying, but dogs barking. And you're like, all right, I got to do this. And you and you're, have that mental picture of where all the obstacles are, right? And everything is good until somebody moves something, right? And then all of a sudden, you're stubbing your toe, you're, you're kicking a Lego or stepping on a Lego, and it's like everything breaks loose, right? So the importance is we need light, right? We need light. But there's a, there's a greater reason why we need light more than just physical. Uh, we need it because of uh, spiritual darkness. Uh, that word darkness, uh, when Jesus talks about darkness, that is a huge, huge uh, component of life. Why? When we think about spiritual darkness, you know, we, we recognize, every single one of us recognize there, there is a level of suffering and hopelessness and helplessness and lostness, right? Every single person has experienced the effects of darkness. We see it in the news. Uh, it's expressed in our own minds and the way that we think. The, the reasons why we do what we do, all those different things are an expression of a spiritual darkness. Why do we have spiritual darkness? You ever ask that question? Why, why are things the way they are, right? Here's the reality. It, it didn't used to always be like that, right? Uh, there was a moment in time where God's creation was perfect, right? There was absolutely no sin in the world. But when disobedience, sin, entered into the world, you and I are exposed to the consequences of that sin even today. It, it may not be our sin that we've committed, but it certainly is the sins around us and also our sins as well. We are exposed to the consequences of sin. So when you think about pain and suffering and death, disease, heartbreak, shame, guilt, loneliness, wandering, rebellion, and brokenness in all of our relationships, guess what? Is a consequence of sin. Sin has caused a great darkness in our lives. We are separated from God because of our sin. That is the greatest effect and consequence of spiritual darkness. And the only answer to the darkness in this world, the only answer to the darkness in your life is found where? It's found in the light of Jesus. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the beauty of the power of the light that Jesus gives to the world. No matter how hard darkness tries to overcome the light of Jesus, guess what? It never will. It never will. It absolutely never will. The light of Jesus constantly shines into the darkness. And this is important. That's why John writes in verse 9 of John chapter 1. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, think about that phrase. The true light was coming into the world. That means that there is a false light, right? That tells us that there is a deceptive light. We live in a world that is distracted, deceived, and manipulated by the false light of Satan and evil and sin. It's all around us, right? 
We can't hide from it. It's everywhere. But Jesus is the true light. In other words, he is the real deal. He is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? Before the arrival of Jesus, we saw a picture of this in the video. The people of God, Israel, were in 400 years of silence where there was no prophet to speak on God's behalf, right? So there's no voice, there's no hope, and there's absolutely no help until when? Until Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, when Jesus entered into this world, everything changed, right? The true light is here. His name is Jesus, and that true light is revealed to all people. Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The next thing that we learn is this. Jesus is opposed by many. Jesus is opposed by many. There's opposition to the light. Anytime you see the word darkness in uh, John's account of the gospel, you have to understand that there's opposition to it, right? Uh, Sin, evil, Satan, they're all opposing uh, the light. That's why John says in uh, John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, he says this, he, speaking of Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now think about the beauty of this. Jesus confronts the world, right? As light, Jesus came into darkness. He invaded uh, the places of sin and fallenness, sadness, faults, fears, running, rebellion, wandering, all those different things. This is the world that Jesus chooses, and that's key. Jesus chooses to come into. He came into the real world full of poverty and addiction and marital infidelity, abuse, all those different things, right? The pride and the hardness of man's heart, Jesus comes into that darkness, and it's into that kind of darkness where God chooses to come in. When, when God could have been completely just and not entering into that world, but because of the tremendous love that he has for humanity, he chooses to enter into that world. God, in his grace, takes the initiative to bring light into the world. And what is the response? For many, there is a great rejection of Jesus. He came into a world that didn't want him. Jesus makes everything. He sustains everything. He's the creator of everything, the ruler of everything. Everything exists for his glory and his praise. And humanity shakes their fists back at him and says, not today, not today, right? You know, Jesus didn't show up because we asked him to come. We didn't roll out the welcome mat and say, come to me. No, Jesus chose to come to us even in our sin. You know, we're just like uh, the, peop- uh, the people of God in the Old Testament, right? In many ways, we reject them. The question is, why do we do it? Why do we do it? Uh, John says in John three nineteen this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You know, there's something inside of us that loves sin, at least for a moment, right? It's why we hide. It's why we manipulate. It's why we deceive people. Because there's something inside of us that loves sin. But praise be to God, the story of Christmas reminds us that what? The story is not over. The light has come and the light is penetrating the darkness. And here's what we see even today. In the midst of great darkness, a greater light is here. And because of that, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They're being restored in that right relationship with their creator. Praise be to God for that. And that leads us to our final point tonight. Jesus came to give us life. That's what he came to do. He came to give us life. 
You know, there's an amazing contrast that happens between those who rejected Jesus in verses 10 and 11 uh, to those who received Jesus in verses 12 and 13. John says this, beginning in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, if you want true life, if you want to be able to overcome the darkness of this world, guess what? You need Jesus in your life, right? Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came to rescue us and to redeem us from our sins. That means the consequences of our sin and the cost of our sin need to be dealt with. And who deals with that? Jesus himself. The story of Christmas reminds us that Jesus has made the way, not a way, but the, the way to be right with God. Jesus himself says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to life. And that's by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, everything about life hinges on who Jesus is and what Jesus came to accomplish. We are trusting in the name of Jesus. Now, when you think about the word name, what does it mean? You're talking about the character of an individual, right? The characteristics of that individual. And so when we think about Jesus and his character, right, he is the source of all good, right? He's the giver of everything that is good. He is perfect and holy and powerful, and he has the ability to overcome your sin and my sin, your debt and my debt. This is why John says it like this. We are born or reborn, not of blood, not because of our biology, not because of our DNA, not because of the color of our skin, he also says, not the will of the flesh. In other words, our salvation, our ability to be right with God is not because we had some kind of emotional high experience, right? We've had those before, right? We know what that's like. Nor by the will of man. So it's not based on human effort or achievement. Now think about that last one for just a moment. Human effort and human achievement. That is exactly the place that we spend the majority of our time and resources in this life, right? Every single one of us are trying to create a resume that says we're good, right? We're good enough, right? So we work tirelessly. Uh, we, we, we search academics and wealth and all these different things to somehow present a resume to God saying that we're good. We do it for the people right next to us, right? And here's the reality. Every time we submit a resume, guess what that person says back in return? Not good enough. Not good enough. There's always something else that needs to be done and that's why John says we're not born, not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but the words of tremendous grace, but of God. And this is the beauty of the gospel. In his grace, light, the light of Jesus has shone into your darkness and my darkness to bring us life. New life in Christ is the greatest gift of Christmas. And it's a, given, a gift given to us. Why? Because he loves us. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What an amazing invitation. Jesus is inviting you, and he's inviting me into new life with him. And how do we receive it? We receive it through believing in him. The word believe 
is far more than just facts about Jesus. It, it talks about a, a relationship with him. And that relationship requires surrender. Uh, surrender means that we're turning away from our old way of life, our old way of sin, and we're embracing a new way of life. We're saying, God, I want you to control every aspect of my life. We are trusting in him. Trust is believing and relying on the very promises of God, the very promises of God that God has declared over his people. You trust that Jesus is enough. You truly believe that he is everything that you need. That's what makes the story of Christmas so great. Why? Because every single one of us, deep down, we have this intense pressure that it's up to us to earn and secure our way, right? I mean, you think about a young mom today, and they're raising their little children there's that intense pressure that their life is so much dictated on what you do or do not do, right? You think about a young man who's trying to uh, provide for his family, the security of his family, that intense pressure that everything about that family, the security of that home is based on what he does or does not do. Now, we have an active role in that, right? We have a responsibility in that, but there is one who is in greater control, and his name is Jesus Christ. The story of Christmas reminds us that what? That Jesus has come to free us from that burden. He has come to release that burden from our soldiers, right? He came so that we can have eternal life in him. And you may be asking the question, what is eternal life? Man, the scripture is so good to us. The scripture gives us a very simple definition of what eternal life is. Jesus himself, as he's praying to the Father right before he goes to the cross to die for our sins... He's praying in John 17, verse 3, and this is what the scripture says. And this is Jesus praying to the Father. And this is eternal life. And then here he defines it. That they know you. That word know talks about relationship. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the grace gift that is given to us at Christmas is an opportunity to have a relationship with our creator, right? To have a relationship with him forever. That, that means that we don't have to wait for some day in the future. We get to experience that relationship today, right now, right? That's why John says that we are given the right to be called children of God. I can't think of a greater privilege, a greater honor than being called a child of God. I mean, listen to the beauty of that. When John writes his epistle in 1 John chapter 3, he says this in verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And I love this last statement, and so we are. It's a done deal, right? The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Father says, that's my child. That's my child. Doesn't matter what you do or do not do. The Father says, that's my child. The one who loves us greatly has taken the initiative. That's what Christmas tells us, right? And because he has taken the initiative, the scripture says in John 1, 14, and the word, speaking of Jesus, he became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And John says in verse 16, for from his fullness, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What an amazing phrase. Grace and truth and grace upon grace. You know, think about this. What, what captivates your heart today? What captivates your heart today is where you think you're going to find the greatest blessing, right? And Jesus has come into 
a world full of darkness. He has given you an invitation today to receive him. And when you receive him, the scripture says that you will receive grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing. And so what captivates our hearts today, what should captivate our hearts today is the fact that Jesus has chosen to give us wave after wave of blessings in his finished work. That is what he came to accomplish, right? And we, once we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are called to rest in those blessings every day. Now, what blessings? There's plenty of them, but I'm going to list three today just for you. One of those blessings is that I'm greatly loved. As a child of God, I am greatly loved. How much so? Paul writes in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how much you're loved. That absolutely nothing will separate you from the love of God. Think about another blessing. The blessing of power. I don't know about you, but I need power. When I think about the darkness that we're living in, what's going to keep me in on the path of honoring the Lord? What's going to keep me on the path of uh, living within the will that God has for me? It's not my strength. It's not my power, right? But it is the power that God gives me through the finished work of Christ. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says this. His, speaking of Jesus, Jesus' divine power has granted to, all th- to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that, so that through them we may become partakers or participants of the divine nature having escaped, escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. In other words, we, we face temptation, right? There's not a single one of us that doesn't face temptation. But temptation in and of itself is not a sin. It's what do you do with that temptation? And the scripture reminds us that when that temptation comes, and it will, guess what? You have given power through the Holy Spirit, through the finished work of Christ, to overcome that temptation. So one of the blessings that we receive as children of God is we have new power. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in you and me as a child of God. And then lastly... Uh, the blessing of having full access to the Father. The very things that used to separate us from the Father, the very hindrances that were put in the way and obstacles in the way, they have forever been dismantled. They're not there anymore. Hebrews chapter four tells us this in verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, speaking uh, in just a moment of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in who every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So, so Jesus has experienced the same temptations that we have experienced, but there's a massive difference. He didn't sin, right? You and I can't say that same claim, right? Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You hear the beauty of this? I have 100% access to the Father because of Christ. That means in the midst of my greatest weaknesses, I have full access to go to him. And I can cry out to the Lord, right? Because Jesus understands what I'm walking through. He understands what I'm going through. And I can go to him and I can cry out to him. And guess what he's going to give me in return? He's going to give me grace. He's going to give me power in my weakness. Paul says uh, his power is made strong in my weakness. His grace is sufficient. Are you embracing that gift today, that blessing today, because of the finished work of Christ? 
I pray that you leverage that, you rest in that every day as a child of God. So think about what we've learned tonight. Again, what did I say? What you believe about Jesus and what you believe about what Jesus came to accomplish has profound impact on your life now and the life of the future. What did we learn? Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is opposed by many, but Jesus came to give us life. So I got two questions. One, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, will you surrender to him tonight? Maybe through our time together worshiping the Lord through the, through the word or through music, you, you, you come to a realization that I need Jesus Christ in my life. And if that's you today, man, I want to celebrate with you. And so in just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, so you can come forward. I would I'd love to pray with you. Uh, if that's too much to ask, I get it. We have a next step area right after our service that I'll point to you. I'll point you to right after our services today. Uh, but just, I want to encourage you. Don't wait for tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. You, you, you have a promise of right now. Would you respond to Jesus? Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. And let us celebrate together. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've, you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and Christmas reminds you that, man, I, I need to stay anchored in the finished work of Christ. I get so distracted, easily distracted. I get deceived and thinking that I've got to do and do and do and do to somehow earn God's approval. Listen, your greatest place of approval is not in what you do. Your greatest place of approval is what Christ has already done. And I want to encourage you to rest in that today. That doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility. But whatever responsibility you have and I have in this life has been divinely empowered by Christ, right? His grace hasn't stopped giving us. Grace upon grace. And so whatever you're uh, working through tonight, if it be first time profession of faith in Jesus Christ, or maybe you're already a Christ follower, but you're reminded of my desperate need to rest in the finished work of Christ, to know that I am greatly loved. I mean, every day you look in the mirror and I'm greatly loved. To know every day that he has given me divine power and I don't have to rely on my own strength because my strength is not good enough. And today, right now, you're reminded, man, I have full and complete access to him. I can come to him at any time seeking his goodness in my life. Whatever your decision is today, I would encourage you to come forward. The altar will be open for you. I